Amen to that. Our children may be dismissed so that they can continue their time of worship. Let's pray. God, quiet our hearts and our minds. Open our hearts that we may truly hear what you ask us to do. Through Christ we pray. Amen. I want you to imagine for a minute that you're in a theater. The lights flicker a bit, indicating that it is the start of the play. The curtain opens on Act 1, and we see a beautiful mansion, well-equipped with all the amenities of the day, beautifully landscaped, and we immediately know that the person who owns this mansion is very wealthy. Why, it even has a security gate around it so that the riffraff can't trespass, or even worse, break into this state-of-the-art mansion. And as we are As we are admiring the house, we see a gentleman approach with the finest and most expensive clothing, and we can certainly tell by the way that he is dressed that he is well off. And we notice him go into this house and sit at the table that is laden with meats and breads and fruits of all kinds. What a feast he is going to enjoy. Ah, the comfort of his riches. But wait. Look back at the front of the house, there at the gate. Is that a beggar lying in front of the gate? A beggar in this neighborhood? And look at him. He's all tattered and torn. He's got sores all over him that the dogs are licking. He doesn't belong on this side of town. But there he is, and the rich man just walks right by him. So I I guess the rich guy is really... A pretty good guy, for he doesn't scoff at him. He doesn't call his servants to take him away. He just ignores him and goes on with his business. Yet the beggar can only hope for some crumbs to eat that fall from the rich man's table. As Act 2 begins, we see the rich man is being buried and has a fancy funeral, and the beggar dies as well, and the angels take him to heaven. And while the beggar named Lazarus is being comforted in heaven with Abraham, we see that the rich man now is being tormented by the flames of hell. Now this is the opposite of what is expected. Lazarus, who had nothing on earth, is now at peace in the bosom of Abraham. And the rich man who had everything while on earth is now in hell. So the rich man begins to talk to Father Abraham. He still expects someone to wait on him. He wants Lazarus to come and give him some water. You would think that someone in such a predicament as this would be wondering how he could uh, make up for ignoring Lazarus. He can't claim that he didn't know Lazarus, for he recognizes him and calls him by name. We notice Abraham is laying out the facts to this rich guy. He says that, Just like the gate around his house that keeps the rich from the poor, now there is a divide between heaven and hell that cannot be crossed. And now for the final act. The rich man is still focusing on his own needs. And yet again, he asks Abraham to send Lazarus, but this time to his father's house to warn his brothers so that they won't end up in torment like he is. 
And Abraham has to remind him again. The gap between them cannot be crossed. And his brothers have plenty of opportunity to change their ways, for they have Moses and the prophets to listen to. And the curtain comes down on our play. This lesson would have been a surprise to those listening to Jesus in that day, for it focuses on the reversal of the rich and the poor. In that day, the rich would have been seen as those blessed by God, and the poor would have been seen as those who were dealing with their sinfulness. But throughout Luke's gospel, we hear Jesus speaking the contrary to this idea about the rich and the poor. I've been noticing as I've listened the last few weeks to the sermons that we're talking about a rich man, a rich man, a rich man a lot. And so I kind of went back through Luke and and started doing an inventory. When Jesus starts his ministry, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Jesus teaches the Beatitudes by saying, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. And woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. And then in Luke's gospel, there's the parable about the rich man building bigger barns to store up all of his grain. And what does Jesus say? He says, you fool. Then Jesus tells us when inviting people to a party, don't just invite those who can repay you, but extend the invitation to the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And again in Luke's gospel, there is the rich man, excuse me, there's the rich young ruler who asks Jesus how he can inherit eternal life. And he is told that he has to go and sell all that he has and give it to the poor. When the young ruler is sad about this response, Jesus says it's hard for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And even last week, our text reminded us that you cannot serve God and wealth. Do you see a theme here? So if the teaching of Jesus is to be aware of and help the poor, I wonder what it is about us as human beings both in Jesus' time and now, that makes it so difficult for us to share what we have or to make sacrifices where our finances are concerned. I would suggest that one of the things that makes us hold our checkbook closer to our chest is fear. We have lived through recessions. We know of people who end up losing their jobs when they are close to retirement. And we have even read in the paper last week that there's a growing population of young adults in our community who are homeless. These are uncertain times where our financial security can be shattered in a moment. And so we live in fear, which causes us to be less generous, less willing to share the good things that we have been blessed with. Perhaps another way that we avoid sharing our material blessings is just by pulling the covers over our head and not look at what's happening in our community or in our world. We can choose to be in denial about the fact that people right here in our own city are hungry each night, and their children are most affected by this. Go help at our Shelby Park ministry right down the road from the church. 
and you will be confronted with this very truth that kids go to bed hungry at night because of lack of resources in their family. It hurts to realize this. And we don't want to experience the pain of knowing these sorts of things, so we live in denial that the poor and the hungry are all around us. We can also tend to be a bit self-centered as we live our life in the fast lane. We, like the rich man, are not unkind to people in our path, but we often pass right by them without even noticing that they are at our doorstep as we rush to the next appointment or next meeting. As I was thinking about this text this week, I realized that I often walk by people in need as I walk to lunch meetings at Ditto's each week. People waiting for the bus, people hanging out at Speedway. What is their story and what are their needs? We are often blind to those right in our path. Another reason it may be hard for us to be generous is because we allow ourselves to get so busy. We are so absorbed in our own schedules that we don't have time to even pause and look around, to observe what's happening. We rush from work to soccer practice to gymnastics to helping with uh, homework to evening meetings and other commitments so that we barely have time to notice the people that are in the whirlwind with us, let alone notice the plight of others in our path. There are those in our community that are impacted by the uh, negatively impacted by the scarcity of resources. But I would say probably that most of us are afflicted with the scarcity of time. In both cases, the result is shutting down just to maintain and reserve what little we possess, whether it be food and money or time and energy. And this keeps us from giving of our time as well as our resources in order to be able to assume a posture of openness and awareness and generosity. And then there is one last reason we hang on to our resources, a not very comfortable reason, and that is selfishness. We want to be comfortable. We want to have fun. We want, we want, we want. And again, in thinking about the text this week, I was convicted. It occurred to me, I wonder how much I spend on entertainment, vacations, versus how much I give back to God. Do I give back to God who provided me with all these blessings I have as much as I spend on myself or my family and having a good time? Now, I'm not talking about the necessities of life, but about our disposable income. Do I give God only the crumbs that fall from my table, the table that, in fact, is laden with the blessings that God has provided? The sin of the rich man wasn't that he was rich. We see throughout all of Scripture people who have used their wealth to help further the kingdom of God. And in fact, Abraham in our Scripture today was a very wealthy man. The sin of the rich man was that he didn't notice and he didn't act on the needs of the poor who were right at his gate. The message of Jesus while he walked on this earth was to take care of the poor, the poor in resources, the poor in spirit, 
the poor in the knowledge of God. In case you haven't noticed, we're in the midst of our stewardship season. We don't talk about money. For those of you who are visiting, we don't talk about money every week. (laughs) We just have this time. And so we're talking about giving to the church so that the work of love can continue in this place. I want you to know I didn't choose the text today as a way to make a point or to guilt you during this season of pledging. It was the lectionary reading for the day. Money is a difficult subject. We see that all throughout Scripture. It represents all the things that we mentioned earlier. Fear, selfishness, lack of time. And so it becomes a touchy thing to talk about. But truly, the bottom line is this. Sharing our blessings is what Jesus said we are to do. And if we claim to be followers of Jesus in his way, then it's our obligation and blessing to help the poor, to feed the hungry, to spread the good news of the gospel. For you see, in serving the poor, we care for our own souls by imitating the very character of God. Mother Teresa said, Only in heaven will we understand how much we owe the poor for helping us to love God like we should. Last year, I heard that some folks quit coming to worship during this month of our stewardship campaign because they felt so guilty about not being able to give. I certainly don't want anyone to feel that way for two reasons. One, God doesn't want us to give out of guilt. And if we do feel guilty about our giving or lack thereof, perhaps that's a tap on the shoulder from the Spirit inviting us to wrestle with this topic. Often we feel guilty only when what we are doing is not in line with our deepest truths. Everyone can give some portion of money back to God, even if it's a dollar a week. It's not the amount that is necessarily at stake here. It's the willingness to look at what we have and give a portion of it back to the one who has blessed us. Now, I would certainly encourage you to give to the work of love that happens through our church. But I would also encourage us not to feel satisfied just because we give money to the church. We are also called to give of ourselves through our time and our energy, both inside these walls and out in the community where we live and work. You know, this parable of Lazarus and the rich man sort of reminds me of the Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, where Ebenezer Scrooge gets an opportunity to look to the future and see what harm his greed will cause to his family and his neighbors and his co-workers. And then when he awakes, he has the opportunity to turn this situation in a new direction. And he does, which results in great rejoicing on the part of himself and others. But in our parable today, the rich man and Lazarus are allowed to see each other, but unlike Scrooge, they are not able to wake from a dream and change things for the better. We, though, are in the place where we, through Scripture, have heard the command. We have the teachings of Jesus that tell us the poor are in our midst, and it is the commandment of Jesus that we open our eyes to the needs around us. If we really believe that, 
we will live into the example of a God who loved and noticed and cared for those who were poor in spirit and poor in resources. Life is not a play. It isn't a dress rehearsal. And each day, we have the opportunity to make the choice about how we live and how we give. What will we do with the Lazarus at our own gate? Let's pray. Loving and generous God, this indeed is a hard lesson to hear. We want to be generous, and yet we often live in fear, holding back the blessing we would receive by giving. Help us to have a deeper faith that you will care and provide for us so that we, in turn, can live out your commands. Open our hearts and open our hands as we strive to be generous and loving servants of yours. Through Christ we pray. Amen. So we come to a time of decision, whether it be a decision that you make in the pew or one where you choose to come forward and unite with us at Highland Baptist Church as we stand and sing our hymn, Will You Come? Will you come?